This is Jennifer Hadley, and this recording is part of the Finding Freedom class series of audios. Finding Freedom is a powerful class offering you tools for transforming your mind so that you align with your divine nature every day in every way. These tools provide the pathway for you to develop the spiritual practices that will lead you to your healing and transformation. Spiritual practice is the ability to choose love in every moment, always remembering the oneness of all life. We're moving out of the old way of paying lip service to spirit, and instead we're in service to the heart. We're cultivating a holy relationship with all of life. I invite you to set the intention now to listen wholeheartedly, committing to being the love and seeing the love in all areas of your life. Together, we partner up with the Holy Spirit and let the Spirit do the heavy lifting. Thank you so much for saying yes to being free. Hello. <laughs> Here we go. Week 7 of Finding Freedom. And what a blessing it is that we get to gather together. I am so grateful. So very, very grateful. So... We're going to pack it in just like we always do. I invite you to turn within and to open your heart and mind to the power and the presence of perfect love, which is your true identity. So we begin, we place our hand on our heart to remind ourselves that we are wholeheartedly available to love and be loved. We declare that we are willing to know ourselves as we truly are, to recognize our true identity and that of everyone else. So grateful and so thankful to openly say yes to the unlimited, unprecedented love of God leading us joyfully, joyfully leading us. We're grateful and thankful to say yes to that wisdom, that clarity, that truth that sets us free, that truth that is our true reality. In grace and in gratitude, we share the benefits of our healing and our expansion with everyone because we're one with them. We consciously share the benefits and we consciously allow ourselves to accept them and receive them for ourselves. We're calling forth great healing, calling forth ease and grace in our waking up. In gratitude, we allow it to be. We accept it. And so it is. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Mm. So I am going to begin by answering a couple of questions here. So David has a question. What is the process to avoid seeing the error, but knowing you want to forgive that person, and how do you work with the concept? Ask me which miracles you should perform when clearly you know 
who you want to forgive. I need you to clarify something that I heard you mention several times. You're giving up all beliefs and you're only interested in the truth. I applaud you. However, you tell us to look at a section in the text referencing beliefs and moving mountains. Why is it strange to you that faith can move mountains? This is indeed a little feat for such a power. Faith and belief and vision are the means by which the goal of holiness is reached. Through them, the Holy Spirit leads you to the real world and away from all illusions where your faith was laid. Elaborate as much as you wish on giving up beliefs. Okay. Well, our beliefs are fabrications based on our perceptions, based on the meaning that we made of things. The truth is the truth. So our human experience is an illusory experience. It's a projection of our mind. And I totally get that that can be very challenging to comprehend. And so I think we don't try to comprehend it. We simply allow the truth to be revealed to us in our awareness rather than struggling to understand it or recognize it. We just simply say, I'd like to understand it. I'd like to know the truth that sets me free. That's what I'm choosing. And then the more that we choose love, the more that we cultivate a pristine awareness, the more that we offload our opinions and judgments which obscure that pristine awareness, the more we have the experience of the truth liberating us. So, uh, in that part of Chapter 2, the section on fear and conflict, where it says uh, that your thought plus your belief combines into a power that can literally move mountains. Uh, it's What it is is, so our thought, combined with our belief, is what calls things into manifestation, into form, in our human reality. So our eternal reality is a different experience. Right now we're having a, an experience within an experience. So in our human experience, our thoughts produce form. Our thought combined with our belief is the most powerful thing that we have in this world. So when our thought is, I'm not good enough, and we believe I'm not good enough, the experience that we'll have is one of great suffering and depression and sadness. If our thought is that, well, I am good enough, but our belief is, no, I am not worthy, then what happens is we get that push-pull. That's the heart-mind congruency that we talk about at the beginning of Finding Freedom. That if our heart and mind are congruent, then our thought and our belief are aligned. So that's what we're looking to do is align both our thought and our belief with love. 
So I'm interested in knowing the truth and aligning with the truth. And I could say believing the truth, but the truth is true. It's not a belief. So I don't need any beliefs, but I can place my faith in God, my faith in the truth, my trust in the truth. And that is essentially placing the power of my belief in truth, in love, in God. So that's the distinction. I hope that's clear to you. And then the question about what is the process to avoid seeing the error and knowing you want to forgive that person? So here's the thing. Let's say someone has done something that feels hurtful. Let's say they've said, you're an idiot. Or let's say they've crashed into your car with their car. These are all things that we might have to forgive. So if we look at it first and say, that was bad, that was wrong, they shouldn't have done that. Then we move into, okay, I'm going to forgive that. So I have to release that judgment. I have to release that should in order to get to forgiveness. So I'm going to say, okay, I don't need to judge them for crashing my car or for telling me I'm an idiot anymore. I'm not going to judge them for that anymore. So the what what's happening there is, First, we're looking at the experience, we're seeing the error, we're judging it, we're calling it an error, we're saying bad, wrong, and then when we're in forgiveness, we're saying, oh, okay, cancel the bad, cancel the wrong, I'm not going to think that anymore, now I'm going to say, I don't know what anything is for except for my learning, I'm accepting my learning, and so I'm forgiving the judgment, I'm releasing the judgment. So, I've heard many, many Course in Miracles students and teachers talk about going through their day where, so they'll say something like, oh, so I got up this morning and the dog had eaten my slippers, so I had to forgive that, and and then the coffin maker didn't work, and so I had to forgive that, and then somebody rear-ended my car, and I had to forgive that, and then uh, and on and on throughout their day. But if we don't judge things, we don't have to forgive them. If we're not judging it, we're not seeing it as an error. That's something wrong or bad. All right. And we've got Licia, Licia, <laughs> Licia has a question. She says, Jennifer, circumstances don't get generate feelings, question mark. Say what? Okay, I am officially confused. So um, let me just say again, as I said in the Facebook group, that circumstances don't generate feelings because it's only our, first of all, our thoughts, our beliefs are producing the circumstances. 
And so what happens is we have a belief system, we have a thought, and then it becomes manifest in form in some way. What is form? Form is our emotions. Form is our feelings. Form is our experiences. Form is the circumstances. It's the situations of our life. It's also the stuff, the things, the stuff you can experience with your five senses. Taste, touch, smell, uh, all those uh, senses. So circumstances don't generate feelings because our feelings are actually generated by our thinking. So circumstances don't generate our thinking our belief system is generating the circumstances. We look at the circumstances through the lens of our belief system. And so our perceptions are a manifestation, an outpicturing, a projection of our belief system. This is why if we can look at what we seem to be seeing, feeling, touching, tasting, experiencing, and say, I don't know what anything is for, but for my learning. Especially if we don't like it. Because our beliefs are creating, manifesting, demonstrating, projecting, out into our human experience as the circumstances of our life. How we hold that in our mind is going to generate more thoughts. So let's say, go back to the somebody crashed their car into mine. Now, I can look at that and I I can be in that experience and I can think, oh, Wow, I hope they're okay. I wonder what's going on with that person. Did they fall asleep at the wheel? Have they been drinking? Were they afraid? What happened? And are you okay? I'm okay. And every, oh no, it was just my, my shoe slipped off. Uh, I've got new leather soles and they're very slippery and it just slipped and I'm sorry. Or I was distracted. There was, um, something that caught my eye and I, you stopped short and then I rear-ended you. Oh, okay. Nobody's upset. Nobody's bothered. We do an exchange. Everything is fine. Could have the same experience and could make the meaning of it. Oh, no. This is terrible. Now I'm going to have all these expenses. Now I'm going to be late to work. If I'm late to work, I might be fired. If I'm fired, my wife is going to leave me. If my life, wife leaves me, no one will ever love me again. It will be proof positive that I'm an idiot, a loser. I have no reason to live. I'm going to kill myself. So that's how the unconscious mind works. And so we could, we could be hysterical from that car crash. Totally, exactly the same circumstances. Completely different feelings because of completely different belief systems. And different belief systems generate different perceptions. So all day long, we're making the meaning of our experiences. This is why we begin A Course in Miracles with, I don't know what anything is for. 
I don't know what anything is for, but I'd like to. Everything is for my learning. Um, now, I'm reading the whole thing here, Licia. I'm not going to read it all out loud. So you're saying, I do understand that I have a choice as to how I will feel and react to these situations. Here's the thing. We can control our feelings, but that's not necessarily a good thing. The good thing is to be able to feel our feelings, but monitor our expression of our feeling. So we've all had the experience of feeling afraid, but not letting everybody know it and we've all had the experience of being angry but we don't have to tell everybody and express it and take it out on everybody our feelings are always that divine alarm clock going off indicating what our thoughts are aligned with are our thoughts aligned with the truth or that with the meaning that we have made of it based on a belief system of lack and limitation because the belief systems are always going to be less than wholeness, less than perfection and truth. Um, so you're talking about your significant other likes to flirt with other women. And who am I to stop him? The only thing I can do is not allow it to hurt me. Well, here's the thing. How do you not allow it to hurt me? The, the only way it can hurt you is if the meaning that you make of it isn't true. That's the only way it can hurt you if the meaning that you make of it is not aligned with truth. So here's the thing. The meaning that someone could make of it easily is that they don't love me. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's true. We, the meaning could be make, made of it, they don't respect me. Well, that might be true, but if someone doesn't respect themselves, they're not going to respect other people. So there's no need to take it personally. And I think it's the most helpful thing to recognize if I'm upset... It's not for the reason I think, and I don't know what anything is for. And to use those upsets as trigger points for us to remember, to offload, to discard the meaning that we make of things. So I'm just reading more of this here. So what you're saying is, if these upsetting events didn't transpire, you wouldn't be upset. It's just not true. Because literally, the events and circumstances of our life, as it says so beautifully in Lesson 135, Paragraph 18, they're all gently planned by one whose only interest is our good. And that one who planned them is us. 
So we are the dreamer of the dream. We are the writer of the script. And so we can start to be willing to look at the events and circumstances of our lives as they're transpiring and say, wow, that seems very unkind. That seems very disrespectful. That seems unloving. I wonder why I would put that in the script. What is there? What's going on there? So instead of feeling like a victim victim and blaming someone else and judging them, instead we're taking responsibility. So that's the the piece on responsibility that's on page 448 of the text. I'm responsible for everything I see. Everything is just exactly as I've chosen it. So this this is not a, a teaching or an understanding that we can just read in a book and go, oh yeah, I get that. Oh, very few people are able to do that. However, we can study this material in A Course in Miracles, these truth teachings, and say, I'd like to understand what that means and how it applies to my life. And our little willingness is all that's required. It will open up in our mind. We will come to comprehend it. So before I go on, I just want to see if anybody has any other questions. So star two, if you're on the phone, you can raise your hand. Any follow-up questions or any new questions at all? Okay. We've got someone here in uh, New Jersey. I'm flying to New Jersey tomorrow. Hey there. Hi, it's Evelyn. Hey, Evelyn. How are you? I'm so good. Um, I'm really enjoying the Finding Freedom I know you are rock star. <laughs> so I have a question that's it's not it's a little off topic, but it's it's sort of applicable. It's about muscle testing. Mm-hmm. So are you familiar with it? And I'd love to get your take on it because we've been having sort of this conversation about I don't know what anything is for, and it's it's a technique that I have learned. Um, through other spiritual practice, and I just sort of would love to get your take on what you think about it. Sure. So muscle testing is also known as kinesiology. Right. And uh, there are many different ways to do muscle testing, and what it is is, for those who don't know, it's um, a way of using the body to test whether or not something is true or accurate, whether something is good or in alignment with your highest good. Is that what you, how would Mm -hmm. you, yep. Exactly, that's a, yeah, yep. So, um, and I do use some muscle testing. I find that um, uh, every now and then it, it feels useful to me to help me just confirm what my intuition is. And uh, I I do encourage everybody to really cultivate your intuition. Now, so muscle testing is reliant on the body. So I I have the sense that most Course in Miracles teachers would say something like, 
you know, the body isn't real. So see if you can find a way to connect to your higher self or the Holy Spirit in order to get the answer that you seek. However, um, what I would say is that um, the the body temple is an expression of your mind, and so it it can give you those answers that you seek because what is known in truth is known anywhere. Right. That's sort of been my my take on it is that the physical body has a connection with the higher self that's be, uh, sort of outside of our conscious awareness. And I, I sort of feel like that's what kinesiology is for, is to sort of bypass our limiting beliefs, our blocks, and all of that to sort of go, this is our conduit. Like the body would be our means of communication. I, 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 and I do find that uh, it, it can be helpful sometimes. There are some people that I see use kinesiology in a way or muscle testing in a way that it feels to me like they're not – cultivating trust in their intuition mm. that they use it instead and so that's the only thing i would be mindful of okay yeah good question thank yeah. you yeah thank you evelyn is it is it snowy there yes yeah but if you're if you're coming on the weekend it will be beautiful and warm so oh, good. It, well, I'm coming. The tomorrow. temperatures are slowly rising. So <laughs> good. Yeah, it's all good. I love the snow. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so let's go to uh, the next thing. I'm just going to take a sip of my tea here. One of the things about Finding Freedom class is many of these topics could easily have weeks of classes on each topic. And in truth, that's what we do in Masterful Living. So Finding Freedom is a great way to jumpstart. Finding Freedom is a great way to recalibrate. And uh, I feel that I do my best to cover each topic in a way that it will be truly helpful and that if you listen to it many times that you will get that nugget, that aha that's waiting in your mind to be popped open. And that's what people tell me happens for them. So I... Uh, I I really want to honor people's questions and these topics by just saying that really and truly I could easily teach for weeks on each and every one of them. And in the the online version of Finding Freedom that's going to be all audios and videos, it's going to be about 40 videos or more to to have all these different topics and still it's uh, not going to be in depth and in depth because of the time it's it's a boot camp it's so it serves a different purpose because there are many people who 
they don't want to make a commitment to a year-long program, and I totally understand that. And I would like to share with you that if you're considering taking Masterful Living, if you're if you enroll and it turns out it's not for you, you can just withdraw. There's no penalty. There's no harm done. And what I what I do in the Masterful Living course is I go through one module, so to speak, after another. And so you could just say, okay, I'm going to complete this module and and then I'm going to withdraw. If for some reason you decided you wanted to go down a different path or you, for any reason, were not enjoying it, not appreciating it. One of the most helpful things I I think to understand is that in this journey of awakening, what we're actually doing is becoming more authentic. Authenticity is healing and it's inspiring. So when we're being authentic, we're being our true self, our real self, which is not a worried, afraid self. And so when we're being authentic, we're able to say honestly what we think and what we feel without a sense of fear or worry of what other people will think about it. And the release of fear and worry and doubt about what other people will think or say about us, that release comes when we are no longer judging others for what they say and do and think. So when we give up judging others, we feel more free. Our heart is more open and we feel more safe. So if you have large amounts of fear, the fastest way to feeling free and feeling peaceful is to give up all the thoughts of lack and attack. And that's what judgments are. And then what's left is we get to be authentic. When you can be an authentic presence in your family, in your workplace, in all your relationships, then you are a healing presence. You're an inspiring presence. Very often, the most inspiring people in the world are so authentic. If you think it, some of the, think of some of the most inspiring people to ever walk the face of this earth, they are extremely authentic in every case. So, next thing I'd like to talk about is sympathy, empathy, and compassion. And to understand those, because very often they're misunderstood. So, let me cover those. I'm just going to make a note here for myself about something. Oops, give me one second here. Oh, I'm looking in the wrong place. (laughs) 
I get inspired ideas. I like to write them down. Okay. <laughs> that way I don't forget them. So sympathy, empathy, and compassion. I think they're much misunderstood. So here is my understanding, and it's helped me a great deal because it, it's totally in line with this teaching about non-judgment. Remember, all forgiveness really is releasing the judgment. That's what forgiveness is. If it feels like it's hard to forgive, it just means you really like that judgment and you feel like you need to hold on to it. So sympathy is basically when you are viewing someone in some way as pathetic, sympathy, pathetic. So you're looking at them and you're going, oh, that poor, poor person. You have a lot of sympathy for them. Oh, isn't it just so sad, so horrible what is happening to them? That is sympathy. Oh, yes, it's just so bad. So what you can get a sense of is when you feel sympathy for someone, you're actually judging their situation. Now, our deepest, darkest, most disturbing moments literally contain our answered prayer. They contain jet fuel for our spiritual growth and expansion. So the worst challenges of our lives contain the greatest possibility for our expansion and our healing. So sympathy is actually looking at the situation through the lens of judgment. It does not help. Contributing our judgment to any situation doesn't help. What does help is extending love and compassion. Compassion is loving understanding. That's what compassion is. So anytime you're feeling sympathy, see if you can turn it into compassion. So compassion is extending loving understanding, and that's being a healing presence a beneficial presence. Empathy is essentially when we say, I feel your pain. I feel what you're feeling. Now, I am an empath. So I'm empathetic. It's part of my makeup. So a lot of my intuition comes from feeling. I'm uh, I'm very clairsentient. So meaning that I perceive my intuition largely through my feeling body, my my senses. And so I'm very empathic. I, I literally, it's very easy for me to literally feel other people's pain and distress and things like that. And many, many spiritual students are extremely sensitive and empathic people. Now, what I've learned in order to be a successful spiritual counselor, particularly, is that me being empathetic with 
the people I'm counseling doesn't actually help them. Because if the person comes to me for counseling and they're suffering and I move into an empathic position with them, then we're the two people who are suffering. I feel your pain. If I move into that kind of a relationship with them, feeling their pain with them, yes, it does help me to understand how they're feeling, but then I'm not a beneficial presence. I'm actually magnifying the suffering by holding it as well. So I am affirming the pain and the suffering when I'm empathetic with people. So I've learned that the high road in all these situations is compassion. Compassion is loving understanding. So we can actually be compassionate with a mass murderer. We can be compassionate with a torturer. We can be compassionate with all kinds of people's situations, no matter what is going on. We can have loving understanding. And that really is what Dr. King taught. That is what Gandhi taught. That is what Jesus taught. And then we move into that place of being the healing presence and knowing the truth for someone, which really means knowing their wholeness, their perfection, their completeness, and knowing that everything that's occurring, everything that's transpiring in their physical life is for their healing on a spiritual level, on a mental level. It's for their awakening. It's for their expansion. And to never doubt that, but to hold instead that regardless of how challenging the circumstances might seem to be, that there is that within them that is transcending all limitations. And to hold the highest and best for them. That there is that within them which is harvesting the learning no matter how difficult it is. Then we are a fully beneficial, healing and loving presence in that person's life. The thing that causes the most harm is to judge. All right, any questions about that and as you're raising your hand I'm going to say a little bit more so start to if you have a question about sympathy empathy or compassion I'd like to also add to that that for me as a spiritual student I discovered that in my relationships I was frequently what I came to call dysfunctionally compassionate I was dysfunctionally compassionate so what that means is I was in relationships where people were not treating me well they were being dishonoring and disrespectful why would they do that because they don't know who they are they if they don't know who they are they they're not going to know who I am right because all minds are joined and there's only one what that person is doing is they are re representing to me. They are representing to me. That's the projection. Representation. Representation. My own belief systems. So if people are taking advantage of me, treating me poorly, 
they're representing my own belief systems in some way, shape, or form. Now, it might be that they are outpicturing my belief in I'm not good enough. I don't deserve good treatment. Or it may be some karmic representation that they're acting out some unhealed negative karma from my past life where perhaps uh, in the past life I was the attacker, I was the betrayer, and now I'm, it's the reverse is happening to me as an opportunity for me to forgive myself. My so-called sins of the past. This is why the highest road often is, I don't know what anything is for. Nothing I see in this room, on the street, or anywhere has anything but the meaning that I have given to it. So let me not make meaning of it. Let me stand back and say, hmm, I'm never upset for the reason I think. Must be thinking something that's not true. What is true here? What is the most loving thing for me to know, to do, or to choose in this moment? So I was dysfunctionally compassionate. So what would happen is somebody would treat me poorly and I would forgive them, which is good. So, But I would judge them first, and then I'd have to forgive them. And then I would give them the leeway to do it to me again. Because I was still healing those belief systems. And I was also still in a position of blaming it on them. So now what I can say is people still disappoint me and let me down and things like that. And I guess in some ways you could say that there are still some betrayals and things, but I don't experience that way it that way at all. And when I I I have a tendency that if someone treats me poorly, I have compassion, I recognize it as a cry for love and uh, I, I know that I'm there to be a healing and beneficial presence and I don't give them an opportunity to treat me poorly again. Whereas before, I would give them an opportunity to do it again. Now, I don't. I don't. So I encourage you to look at ways in which you're dysfunctionally compassionate. It's a very common it's very common and people will take advantage and you just keep letting them do it again and again and again it's disrespecting the self not honoring yourself so if we don't honor ourselves other people aren't going to honor us either because all that we experience in the world of effects is a projection of our own belief system so that's why in my classes in A Course in Miracles, we are working at the nitty-gritty belief system level. We're not working with behavior modification. We're not look, working at trying to fix other people 
or learn how to speak our truth to them and things like that. We're we're taking total responsibility and working on the uh, in the invisible in our mind because what I have found year after year of doing this myself and teaching it to others it is such a, an amazingly fast path of healing for those who really do the work and it's not easy it's not easy as you're all finding out sometimes to release the opinions and the judgments that you have against yourself and others it can feel excruciating because there's such a strong attachment to it there's such a strong identification with it so that's one of the things in our journey is we recognize how identified we are with not good enough something's wrong with me I'm bad. I'm not worthy. And sometimes it can be shocking to realize how identified we are with a small self, a selfish self. The good news is because none of that is actually true or valid, it is only a belief system, it can actually dissolve amazingly quickly. What it does require is our willingness. Any questions about any of that? Start two to raise your hand. Jennifer is asking, how do you prevent someone from mistreating you again? Well, number one, to really look at the situation as a projection of your own belief system. To look at, am I mistreating myself? So, for instance, um, I've had people take advantage of me, trying to think, um, where they say, can you help me out? I say, sure. And then they want more and more and more of my time and energy. And they uh, aren't respecting my time and energy. They're not seeming to really value it. And their uh, challenges seem to be endless, that kind of thing. Um, And... They're not doing their own work. So they're trying to get me to really babysit them or help them without doing their own work. So, uh, And so in a sense, you could say that that's disrespecting my time and energy. Well, first of all, I recognize that they're, they're not clear. They're not respecting their own energy. So, of course, they're not going to be able to respect mine. So it might seem that they're treating me badly, calling me in the middle of the night, uh, leaving four, five, six messages in a row, filling up my answering machine, or sending me lots of emails, things like that. Uh, But they've lost perspective on something. So I take total responsibility for it. And I pray to know the truth that right where they are, 
there is perfection and there is wholeness. But it's also being able to say, I am not going to have a relationship like this with you. So here's here's what I can offer you and here's what I cannot offer you. So that you're in charge of what you like and don't like. You have your preferences. You have your preferences and that you can say this is not this is not how I would like to have our relationship be. So I'm not going to participate in that anymore. And I've done that on many, many levels. So, for instance, back many years ago, Philip, I hope I've answered uh, your question a little bit. Um, Years ago, in my experience with my family, that... Uh, in many ways, I have a very loving family. Certainly, I do have a more loving family now than I did years ago because I'm more loving now. They show up as more loving too. And as I love myself more, I let other people love me more. So my family shows up as more loving. And this is one of the most beautiful things that I see transpire for people in Masterful Living is that their relationships with their loved ones really change because the more they love themselves, the more they allow their family to love them. So their family starts to really love them. Because remember, it's done unto you as you believe. So when I back in the tw- my 20s, uh, my relationship with my family, we allowed ourselves to speak unkindly to each other and sarcastically to each other. And believe me, I was the queen of the pack. And I made a commitment to myself that I wasn't going to let anybody treat me unlovingly anymore. And I was making that same commitment to myself. And so I was inviting everyone that I had a relationship with to also always treat me kindly. So initially, uh, my family was not getting on board. And so I would say to them, look, I've made this choice. I've made this decision that from now on, if people are going to have a relationship with me, they are required to treat me kindly. And so I'm really saying that if you want to continue our relationship, you have to treat me kindly. Now, and I said, literally said to my parents and my brother, we don't have to ever get together or talk or communicate in any way. We're all adults now, so our continued relationship is totally optional. So if you would like to be consistently kind with me, then I would like to have a relationship with you. And if you don't want to do that, then I don't want to have a relationship with you where we get together and spend time together and you can be unkind to me. Now, I was still not being 100% kind with myself, so I was seeing the same thing in my family. 
right? Because they're a projection of my own belief system. So I didn't say, you know, that's it to them. I've told you three times you have to treat me kindly. Here you are being sarcastic again. That's it. I'm done with you people. Because that would have been foolish on my part because I was not 100% of the time consistently kind with myself. So it wouldn't have been fair to expect that of my family members. But what I did continuously do is say, really, I mean it, that sarcasm, that kind of, I, I really don't want that in our relationship anymore. I mean it. So I learned to be able to say it to them without accusing them, without making them wrong, but simply asking for what I was wishing for, what I was interested in. And I also, of course, I had to give even better than I was getting because if I wanted to have it be differently, if I was choosing to have it be differently, I had to make it be differently by the choices in my mind. So I I was really interested in being more loving and kind with myself and with my family. And I can honestly say that all of the relationships in my family with me and me with them and, check this out, them with each other transformed. So all our family relationships transformed. All of them. Everybody became kinder. Everybody gave up the sarcasm and the judgment and the attacks. Everybody. Little things come up now and then, but they're so minor. And what's more is when they come up, I'm usually... I'm, they don't even bother me because I'm not attacking myself anymore. I'm treating myself kindly. So I don't get triggered. Not a trigger point for me anymore. And I can honestly say too that I've had times, let's say in the last five or six years, a couple of times where there was stuff in my family for sure. And one time where a family member was really judging me intently. I've had that a couple of times. And I was able to speak to them with a heart of compassion. And I was also able to say to them, I'm not going to allow you to speak to me that way. Because you're judging me and I'm not going to tolerate it. But I wasn't making them bad or wrong. I wasn't saying, look, you jerk. I was saying, I'm not going to tolerate you speaking to me that way. So there was no returned judgment. And I could only say it, really, because I wasn't judging them. They could only hear it because I wasn't judging them. If I was really judging them, I wouldn't I would have kept my mouth shut. I would have just 
walked away. But I, I've been able to say, I'm not going to tolerate you speaking to me that way. And I'm not going to tolerate you to speaking to me in that judgmental way because it will just hurt our relationship. And then you'll feel bad. And I, I really don't want that in our relationship. And I've had times when a family member, will, a loved one will say, start to judge me and I'll say no I'm not going to I'm not going to listen to that and they'll say oh but Jennifer y- y- come on now you have to admit and I say I'm not going to have that conversation with you I'm not going to allow you to judge me it's not, it's intolerable to me so we have to change the topic I'm just not interested in it I'm not going to defend myself and I'm not going to listen to your attacks And they'll be like, you know, but wait a minute. I want to tell you what I think about what you're doing or what you're not doing or something like that. And I just say, you you misunderstand. I am not interested in those thoughts at all. I will not listen to them. So you you can stop speaking about them right now or I can leave the room. It's up to you. And see, I have the authority that they know... I mean it, and my authority comes from my loving heart. So this is the thing. Going back to what we were saying before, your feelings are important. So if somebody is speaking unkind to you and you start feeling irritated or frustrated, that irritation or frustration could be the very sign that you're letting them speak to you that way because you believe it too. There are cases where someone, probably I would have to not know them who might speak to me that way or not know them very well and they would speak to me unkindly and I would allow them to have the full say of their thoughts before I would respond. But I would take it as a cry for love. I hope I would take it as a cry for love. And I would respond with compassion. And the compassionate thing is not to allow someone to create negative karma. Now, this this is a very, to me, it's a very advanced teaching. I didn't get this for a long, long time. And I'm still working with it because there are times when we want to interfere with people's lives and we need to let them make their own choices. And then there are other times if they're treating us unkindly and badly, they're creating negative karma that way. And we, out of compassion, say, well, I'm just not going to take it personally. Oh, I'm just going just to um, overlook it. That's not actually helpful. It can be the most helpful thing is to interrupt them and say, no, this is unkind. Are you meaning to be unkind right now? What's If you are meaning to be unkind, what's really going on? What's really bothering you? Because I was only ever unkind to people when I was thinking poorly about myself. I was never unkind to people because they deserved it, but only because I lost sight of who I really was. So anybody that's going to treat me unkindly has lost sight of who they really are. So the greatest gift I can give to all of us in that moment is to help them remember who they really are. How can I best do that? 
I know it in my own mind first. If I'm judging them for their behavior, I don't know who they really are. So I've got my work to do. I'm just going to do my own inner work. That's why that there's that expression, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Do your own inner work. So Leisha's asking the question, in situations of physical abuse, is the person being physically harmed responsible for this situation? Yes. Is the victim merely projecting their self-image to the outer world? Yes. Is their being abused due to a script chosen before being born? Yes. Is this situation just meant to be in a form of karma payback? It's not like that because, you know, in our human experience when we're identified with the ego, the whole idea of responsibility gets confused with blame. So we learn to take responsibility without blame. In spirit, there's no blame. There's only responsibility. And to be able to take responsibility for the circumstances, situations, and experiences of our life, and to take responsibility for our feelings and our thoughts, is a spiritual victory that is profound. It is so profound. Now, there are no victims. It looks like there are victims, and yet, we're all one. So, if the only one that could attack me is myself, how can I be a victim? Of course, this is really not 101 spiritual understanding. The law of cause and effect is how this human experience operates. And I really encourage you to read and reread and read and reread that cause and effect section that follows the fear and conflict section in A Course in Miracles in the chapter 2. And if someone is being physically abused, get out of there. Because if you're being physically, emotionally, mentally abused, if there's any kind of abuse, then what's happening is the person who's being abused abused has lost perspective they've forgotten who they are to such a degree they're not able to love themselves in that moment and so they're manifesting abusive behavior in their circumstances so it just means that their thinking is wrong. It does not mean that there's anything wrong with them. It just means that the thinking is not in alignment with the truth. It means that the belief system is completely false. And the belief system is one of I'm just listening here. Hmm. Well, what's coming to me is really lack and attack, that there's a, a, a very entrenched 
belief in lack and attack. So when people are filled with self-hatred, and I use the word filled with self-hatred, but it's, it's really an illusion. But when our thoughts are obsessively of self-hatred, it will manifest in our experience. So this is why we pray and this is why we partner up. Because when we change our beliefs, we do change our lives. And I really encourage you to look at the uh, the brick wall in the um, workbook. It's on page, I think that's 21, where you can see, um, it's in the section called, Heal the Root to Have New Fruit. And you can see that the basis of that wall, the platform that everything is on, not good enough, bad, wrong, unworthy. And then all those other beliefs, those false beliefs, are all projections and perceptions based on that fundamental not good enough, bad, wrong, unworthy. And so we work at that level. You are welcome, Jennifer. So the question is, isn't the abuser at fault? Well, if you if you are blaming the abuser and you're not taking responsibility, you're actually pushing away from your mind the awareness necessary to take responsibility. If you don't take responsibility for it, then what's going to happen is you're never going to change your belief system. So responsibility means I am the one with the beliefs that are being projected into this world and showing up as abuse. So this is a demonstration of my beliefs. If we say no... It's not a demonstration of my beliefs. It's them. They're to, to blame. And one example I can give you is I had a relationship with someone that was very important to me, someone very, very close to me. And in meditation one day, and we were going through a hard time, and I was confused and hurt feeling and I was interested in really a return to love in my heart and I was really having a hard time not judging and this is when I decided to become very very rigorous about not holding any judgments and so this is when I learned to place it on the altar a hundred or more times a day because I became very, very committed to it. And what I remember was I was in meditation one day and it was like I was transported to another dimension before I was born. And I was face to face with this loved one who I was having this challenge with. And what 
I heard him say to me in this other dimension was, I'm willing to do these things in order to give you these forgiveness opportunities, in order to have this healing lesson. But I'm afraid you might hate me for it. And I could never bear the idea that you would hate me. And I said to him, oh no, I won't hate you. I won't. I know that I won't. And I will pray for us both to be healed. It would mean so much to me if you would do this to help me heal this karma. And so he agreed. And then I came back into the awareness of the room and I was so grateful. It was one of the most grateful moments of my life because I suddenly knew what it was all for. It, it, in some ways, it made it easier. A lot of ways. And I saw really deeply and truly in that moment how much we loved each other because I had been praying for him, even though I felt like he had betrayed me. I was praying and praying and praying, and I was praying for his happiness, for his wholeness, for him to have love, and for myself, of course. And it was one of the most profoundly healing times of my life. It's like Regina Dawn Akers talks about having that experience with her sweetheart where they moved in together. He came from France and they moved in together. And then after some time, they started to hate each other. And she said, here I am laying in bed next to this man and I hate him. And the Holy Spirit said to me, you're so lucky, Regina. And she's thinking, what? What the what? Lucky. I'm lying next to this man I hate. And I'm in this situation. But you see, it was the thing that she had put in her own script for herself to hold her, you could call it her pedal to the metal or the, her nose to the grindstone for her own healing and then her having to work with that hate in her mind became her liberation just like for me it became my liberation now for both of us there was a period where it was excruciating and yet for both of us it was our liberation we don't know what anything is for. But we took responsibility for our thoughts. And our thoughts were producing our feelings. So we took responsibility for our feelings. And we worked at the level of the mind. And our minds cracked wide open. So next time you look at something and you think, this should not be happening this is bad, this is wrong, and they're to blame for my unhappiness. Just know that you have the opportunity to change your mind and to choose again. And if you don't, you won't harvest the learning from the experience until you take the responsibility for it 
and accept it as your healing gift that is perfectly encoded with your answered prayer of healing. And so you'll just have to recreate another experience to get your attention and give you the opportunity to do that same thing again. That same lesson and learning again. We've all done it many, many, many times. Let us not do it anymore. One thing I'd like to share with you is that reminder that shoulds are always judgments. They really are. And so this is why you'll hear me correct myself a lot. If I say wanting, needing, should, I usually correct myself. My mind is looking for those ways of energizing separation, lack, and limitation. So we release the judgment, and that's what forgiveness is, in order to harvest the wisdom and not repeat it. It's about making good investments, right? So going back to our spiritual budget, our path of awakening, our path of happiness requires us to move out of deficit spending on an energetic level. How do we do that? We decrease the judgments and the things that create suffering and we increase the love and the choices that bring healing. Less judgment, more love. Replace the judgments with love. And so what's happening in this Finding Freedom class in the boot camp, it's a spiritual detox. One of the reasons why people love the Facebook group so much is then they're not doing it alone. Because sometimes when we're doing it alone, I mean, for me, seriously, when I was doing this, I felt very alone on a lot of levels. And it was crazy-making at times. Because I didn't know who to... T I was getting all these insights, the ones that I'm sharing with you in this class, and I didn't have other people to talk about them with. That's why I just started offering free study group, free classes, free things in order to freely talk about them. Remember too then, our practice of self-forgiveness is one of self-forgiveness. Our practice of non-judgment is one of self-non-judgment because all forgiveness is self-forgiveness because there's only one. So in Masterful Living, my year-long class, we focus on really clearing this stuff out. And it is spectacular how much can be accomplished in a year. Remember, too, that with these Finding Freedom classes, you can listen to them again and again and again. The Facebook group continues on and on. Something that can really help is to get into that partnership with the higher Holy Spirit self and to ask ask, ask. So what one of the teachings I got from 
to me, it's the angels that gave it to me. They said to me, Jennifer, just keep asking. Ask for insight. Ask for clarity. Ask for help. Ask for, <clears throat> ask to know the highest and best. Ask, ask, ask. And then they showed me to ask this question. If I knew what to ask for, what would I ask for? <laughs> so I do that all the time. And I use it in so many ways. And one of the, the experiences that was really interesting to me um, many years ago, I had a, I was going to go to the bank to make a deposit of a few checks that I had. And so I had this one check that I particularly wanted to deposit. Um, I don't know, maybe it was for $1,000 or something. And... Um, I I kind of save up checks and we'll go to the bank. And so I thought I had the check on my desk, but I couldn't find it. So I looked at all through all the papers and everything on my desk, not there. So then I'm starting to go through my home and look for the check. Can't find it, can't find it. And I thought, okay, now I thought this check was on my desk. And my friend came over yesterday and they put my their coat on my desk. Maybe that made the check flutter off or blow off and go under the desk, behind the desk. I'm looking and looking and looking. And in this process of looking, my higher Holy Spirit self is sending me this message, ask, where is the check? Ask for help. And I'm completely blowing off my higher Holy Spirit self, totally ignoring the intuition. I'm looking and looking and looking. And then after two or three times of looking through everything, <laughs> I stopped and I said, okay, where's the check? And then I did not pause to listen to the answer. I just immediately started looking for the check again. So I immediately went back into the consciousness of, I don't know where it is. I have to labor and look for it. I have to work in the visible world, laboring in form, pushing density, instead of working in the invisible and receiving the answer. And so there I go again, looking in all the exact same places, having the exact same results. And now it's getting to be 45 minutes to an hour. I'm looking for this check. And in my mind, I'm literally saying to myself, you have lost your mind, Jennifer. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? This is crazy behavior. Why are you not listening to your intuition and just asking for where the check is? You know that whenever you can't find something, all you have to do is ask and you'll get the answer. What are you doing? Why are you wasting all this time and all this energy? What? Have you what what is the craziness that's happening here? And finally I stopped and I took a breath and I got still and I said Where's the check please? Immediately in my mind was a picture of where it was. In a place I could have looked for the next twenty four hours, I never would have looked there never in a million years, it was in my jacket pocket from a jacket that I had worn a couple of days before 
and it was in my closet. I never would have remembered that I put it in there. Never. I was convinced I'd put it on the desk. So, I just the problem was solved in less than 60 seconds, but I had spent nearly an hour. And so I asked the question, what was the purpose of this experience? And it came through clear as a bell, so that when you tell this story, other people will see themselves in it, and they will remember just to ask. And then I smiled and I said, okay, that makes perfect sense to me. Thank you so very much. (laughs) So, another thing I'd like to share with you is an understanding of spiritual qualities. Spiritual qualities are love, peace, joy, freedom, wisdom, clarity, harmony, abundance, purity, prosperity, joy, wisdom, creativity, constancy. These spiritual qualities and more are our true nature. They are all part of love. Love is wisdom. Love is creativity. Love is freedom. Love is joy. Love is prosperity. Love is abundance. All of the spiritual qualities of life are part of our essence as beings of love, the perfect givers and receivers of love. And so teach only love, for that is what you are. We are love. We are these spiritual qualities. So when we seek the kingdom first, what happens is our awareness that these spiritual qualities are our true identity awakens in our mind because it's been there all along. It's only been hidden by thoughts of blame and shame and resentment and regret and lack and attack and revenge and jealousy and guilt and all those thoughts that are all about judgments. So judgments cloud our awareness of our true nature and our true identity. When we seek the kingdom first, those spiritual qualities seem to be added to us in our awareness. And what happens then, when we know we are abundance, then we can experience abundance. When we know we are creativity, then we have no problems experiencing creativity. When we know we are love, we can love and be loved without limitation. When we know that we are wisdom, we never feel stupid or wrong or bad. And when we know who we really are, then we can align with prosperity and manifest and demonstrate prosperity because it's done unto us as we believe. So when the truth is restored to our awareness and we're accessing it, 
and living in alignment with it, it's done unto us as we believe. When we believe the truth, then we can manifest and demonstrate whatever is needed whenever we think that we need it. So I can honestly say that the more I awaken to the truth in my own awareness, the more this is my experience. So I feel that my needs are met. So the deep desire of my heart is to awaken. And so my life helps me to awaken to the truth. My my other deep desire is to share the benefits with everyone and to help others who would like to awaken too and to share the journey together joyfully happily and I feel that's my experience so the deep desires of my heart are being made manifest because I'm seeking the kingdom first and I'm not looking outside of myself so what I would like to say is it's really a living demonstration of the truth that's what my life is more and more clearly and isn't it interesting that my my greatest aspiration and the deep desire of my heart are to awaken and to seek the kingdom first as my path of awakening to not need or want anything and it can seem like that's such a solitary journey because on some levels it is a journey that we seem to do in stillness and in our direct connection with God and our direct connection with God is our connection with every other being and so here my highest aspiration to awaken is involves thousands of people around the world who would like to do so also it's pretty cool so those spiritual qualities are our true nature so if we're not experiencing abundance prosperity love joy freedom it's because we have gone into the mindset that experiencing those qualities is conditional so the spiritual qualities are unconditional this is one of the things that is meant by when Ernest Holmes said God is impersonal meaning that God doesn't say oh I'm going to make a special little experience of God for Jennifer because she needs to have her own uh, experience of the spiritual quality so we're going to give her extra creativity no it doesn't work that way so we all have access to all of the spiritual qualities all the time and the only way to access them really is through our loving heart so if we don't have a living spiritual practice of love we won't feel worthy of the kingdom 
we won't feel worthy of experiencing all these spiritual qualities in their fullness. So we will literally be blocking our experience of the fullness of the kingdom because of that judgment that we're unworthy. So the way to unlock all the self-judgments really, really is through a living spiritual practice of love. So it is a practice of purification, purifying our minds and hearts of all that obscures our true nature. Any final questions for this class? Any other questions? Star 2 to raise your hand. If you're on the phone. Leisha's asking, is it wrong to interfere with abuse when you see it as an outsider going on? Well, here's the thing. It depends on the mindset that you are approaching things with. So, it it really, if you're following divine guidance, you'll be fine. And so, the main thing for you is if you're looking at the situation and you're judging, that's not helpful. Now, if you're seeing someone hurting another person or an animal or anything like that or even themselves you there's interfering by saying hey stop it that's that's not loving that's not kind that's but if you're doing it with judgment like why are you doing that is a maybe or or to find a way to interrupt it just stop stop doing that i can't stand it uh something that would interrupt it obviously sometimes it can be a very quick moment so we do the best we can but the main thing is not to make the choice by judgment But if anyone is being abused or someone you know is being abused, yes, you do your best to step in or get out, depending on what's appropriate. Praying always helps. But if someone is hurting someone else, don't be silent. Get in there. And, you know, one way to get in there is to turn it over to an authority that can actually have authority and do something. Situations are very unique. How involved should one get in helping others in serious situations? Motivate, uh, rather, meditate on your motivations Follow divine guidance. Ask for what is the most loving thing to do. No, it's not wrong to get involved. But always check your motivations. What is motivating you getting involved? (laughs) 
it's if people if people or animals or beings are being hurt it's i i feel it's our duty to speak up and to interrupt that pattern of violence because otherwise everybody involved feels they're they're just affirming their negative karma and making it more intense Irene asks, I'm interested in viewing my current situation with my son's depression and his refusal to accept any help as somehow a demonstration of my belief. What belief could it be? Is it that I'm refusing to accept help in some way? This situation seems to be one I'm recreating because we've been through a similar situation before. I have a feeling it's totally about forgiving myself. I would appreciate your insights on this. Um, you know, this is a really good question. So, yes, uh, let's all pray for everyone's depression to be healed and for anyone who is suffering to accept help. So... It is amazing how powerful it is when we can accept total responsibility for everything in our lives without blame. It's really important to tag on that without blame. Irene, um, in Masterful Living, one of the things we do is we we, um, look at the Ho'oponopono teaching of forgiveness, the ancient Hawaiian healing technique and we look at the book called Zero Limits and I would encourage you to look at that book and uh, you you are right it is totally about forgiving yourself because all forgiveness is self-forgiveness so write a letter to yourself and forgive yourself And if anyone is listening who has not written a forgiveness letter to yourself yet, first order of the day clears out so, so much. Especially any area where you're upset. Write a forgiveness letter to yourself. Forgive yourself your judgments and your opinions against yourself and others. All right. God bless you, Philip. God bless you, Leisha. Well, it's been quite a journey. Oh, got a hand raised here. Go ahead. Hi, it's right. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> it's Roxana. Hi, Roxana. You know, I I had a very uh, difficult incarnation with my mother. Uh, she was into Christian Science when I was born. Um, later on, she was diagnosed with bipolar, psychotic. Um, there was an immense amount of abuse 
very physical, emotional, and my relationship with my mother was has been a, a major uh, point of my life to resolve and to try to understand. And I have done my best to apply love. It, it, I, I, to the point is, as difficult as her the relationship is and destructive and harmful to my life, I was always provided with an angel or someone to help. And that is amazing. When I was 14, she told me I could choose... Uh, my religion, even though it wasn't the same as her own, and I chose unity. And I had been exposed to that when I was at 11, and that was at because of her. She was uh, exploring religious connections as long as I knew her. Christian science was the first or when I was born. And unity spoke to me. She told me I didn't have a choice, but... I had to go to church, and I had to choose the one that I chose. I had been exposed to about 24 different religions, so I got the comparative, you know, overview, and I chose unity. And they loved me uh, no matter what, and I had an awful lot of whats. They were uh, very, very healing so I don't understand my karmic relationship with my mother. I thought, my God, I must be a Nazi previously, or I must be somebody who would come in and um, be able to do the Mighty Mouse thing to do for healing. But, there was always that angel on the other side of the complication. And I guess that's what I'm sharing right now. And the thankfulness, you know, to understand um, the love. I couldn't apply it in those teenage years. You know, I did apply it. I tried to apply it. But there was the irrational, I mean, the beatings, the, oh, boy, you know. But I think I have seen whatever the karmic deal is, that there is the ally to go through with that. And that's all I want to share. Okay. Thank you. All right. So, and Irene says, thank you so much, Jennifer. Beth says, "Can Jennifer, can you speak briefly about the content modules in Masterful Living, or is there somewhere to access this info? And thank you, Beth. Yes, I'm uh, for safe flight tomorrow and a Merry Christmas. I wish everyone who's traveling safe travels and a uh, Merry Christmas if you're celebrating Christmas. The modules 
in Masterful Living. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, oh, I feel so blessed. It is, uh, we start with two weeks uh, setting intentions for the year and taking stock. And we move through uh, self-forgiveness work. And we spend quite a bit of time on spiritual practice and finding effective spiritual practice that feels comfortable to you, understanding the benefits of different kinds of spiritual practice and supporting you in finding the ones that really work for you. Uh, we do spend some more time on some of the teachings in here about heart-mind congruency and the divine alarm clock. Uh, we uh, learn in more depth about prayer, go into more depth about forgiveness and what forgiveness is and how to work with it, and also to really do some deep forgiveness work of the past. Uh, we uh, have classes working with building trust and faith and uh, healing self-sabotage, uh, go into that in great depth, and uh, activating your intuition, hearing divine guidance, and inspiration. Uh, we, we go into uh, a number of weeks where we focus on any ways that we're playing small and to change those beliefs and to heal all the reasons that we play small and to shift those behaviors uh, by shifting those beliefs. And we uh, have spent quite a bit of time and energy on more loving relationships, really energizing those loving relationships. We really uh, have some uh, quite a bit of time where we work on opening to experience true prosperity and abundance and have that deep heart opening and cleansing and clearing. Uh, we do some studies about the chakra system really just uh it's really more about addressing issues that manifest as stagnation in the chakras and so uh for instance uh issues about being able to give and receive love related to the heart chakra issues about being able to be honest and truthful and to have a a, a, a powerful word to be able to speak your word and have it be powerful related to the throat chakra things such as that we also uh, focus on things like integrity authenticity and creativity it's all a year of healing and so those are uh, a lot of the main topics that we work on obviously it's a, it's a designed to go for a whole year so that people can really deeply cleanse and clear and purify. And what I can honestly say is that the people who really do the work have extraordinary results. Uh, and what I do, Tanya's asking about the Daily Course of Miracles lessons, I don't include walking through the workbook, no, but I do include applying the teachings of the workbook. 
because that's my thing. It's not teaching A Course in Miracles. It's applying it. It's living it. It's really understanding it uh, that way. So it's not intellectual. It's really taking it all down into your heart and truly living A Course in Miracles. And I think one of the greatest things about the Masterful Living Course is the community that uh, is formed. So you're already feeling that and finding freedom if you're participating in the Facebook group and in the prayer calls and in the nightly calls doing the release and clear. You're having that experience of feeling really connected to other people who are doing the work. And so there's uh, more of that in Masterful Living because People have prayer partners. And uh, I know that in the beginning of the year, many people feel reluctant to uh, have a prayer partner and to connect in that way with people. But I give you very clear guidelines to follow. And uh, many people say one of the very best things of Masterful Living is their prayer partners and their prayer partnerships and uh, extraordinary friendships Uh, will come out of those prayer partnerships. And it's so profoundly healing. Also with Masterful Living, you have, so in Finding Freedom, you have a class with me. In Masterful Living, you have a class with me and a community call that's facilitated by somebody who's already taken Masterful Living and is really working it, living it and enrolled in the classes in another year of Masterful Living. And so between the Facebook group, the prayer partners, and the community calls, there's a lot of really authentic support and so much opportunity for people to practice being the perfect givers and receivers of love and to really... I think it's the most remarkable thing I've ever experienced in spiritual community because just like with the Finding Freedom Facebook group, I find that people are telling the truth. So if they're having a day where they're feeling this is just a meltdown situation, they're able to be authentic. They don't have to put on a, a... a happy face. They can say how they feel. They can ask for prayer. They can be authentic. They can say, this is my belief. How do I work with it? And I'm willing to hand this over. Please pray for me. And things like this. It's profound what happens when we open our hearts and minds to love and be loved in these ways. And the other thing is, is I think that we have a lot of fun, too. So there are three workbooks that I've written to take us through the curriculum for the year. And the way I do Masterful Living is, in a sense, the way I do Finding Freedom, which I give you all of these tools and all of these teachings and all of these opportunities to connect and work them individually in the group and with others. Um, And... I leave it to you to decide what works for you. So I don't insist that anybody do much of anything. Very little. Really, almost nothing is required. 
so you can do as much or as little. And some people do everything, and some people do almost nothing. Some people only listen to the classes, and that's what they do that first year. And then the second year, they listen again. And this time in the second year, they have prayer partners, and they do some of the work in the workbook. Sometimes people repeat it a third year, and they say, okay, this time I'm going to do even more. So there's no right or wrong way to do it. I think it's really important for people to have permission to do it the way that makes the most sense for them so that they feel that uh, they don't get overwhelmed because it's the, that's the fastest way for us to opt out of our spiritual healing is to allow the ego to over well, Mass. Uh, is asking about the cost of the workbooks. They're not downloadable. Uh, I I really find that um, it's best if people purchase them. That's what will make them most likely to work with them. So they are uh, three are one hundred and forty four dollars, and. So that's in addition to the tuition, which is $127 a month. Or you can pay for the whole thing in one uh, payment and you get one month free. And so they're, they're, uh, the workbooks are similar to the Finding Freedom workbooks. And um, they have uh, similar with uh, beautiful artwork and some of the same prayers and um uh, a lot more different artwork too and uh, certainly different inquiries and um, uh, the uh, similar, some of the similar practices but the inquiries are quite different and uh, they build and build and build and work to match the curriculum and uh, they're beautiful just like the Finding Freedom workbook is beautiful uh, and you can have a payment plan to pay for the workbooks so just like you can pay the the class tuition uh, on a monthly basis you can also pay those workbooks I think it comes out to $11 a month something like that so um, plus shipping and you know we have people all over the world taking masterful living and so that's one of the remarkable things too uh, it's the same with finding freedom people all over the world taking the class down under and uh, throughout Europe and uh, it's amazing how people come in from uh, Hong Kong and Mexico and Australia and Belgium and Germany and Sweden and uh, just all over the place. Netherlands, France, England, Ireland, <laughs> Canada, just all over the place. And uh, it's quite extraordinary. And everybody has their own unique journey. And uh, more and more in the class, uh, I find that people are 
healing faster and easier. There's a group energy to it. And uh, I'm also able to now do some um, individual check-ins with people along throughout the year. And so you'll get to stop and check in with me a couple of times throughout the year. And you'll also, <clears throat> now we have people who've taken year two, year three, and who are interested in uh, having a kind of a loose mentorship of people taking the year one. It, I wouldn't really call it a mentorship, but more kind of like big sister, big brother, that someone you could call who's done it before and ask them questions about how to navigate certain things. So it's um, honestly is the most loving community I've ever experienced in my life. And every year, the people who are in it have more spiritual growth than the, the year before. Really and truly, that is my experience. And that is my experience that we are in a time of tremendous awakening and that there's so much that we can attain to if we choose to. And it is uh, it is up to us to say, this is what I am choosing. And I honestly have come to see that the smartest thing I ever did was to say, I'm going to put God first in my life. I am going to really put the kingdom first knowing that all else will be added unto me. Because I have a very strong mind. I've always had a very strong mind. And so I could align my heart and mind congruently with whatever I wanted or needed to manifest. And I could manifest what I thought I could have. So what I thought was possible, I could manifest. I could call it into being through focusing my mind and my belief system. But what I discovered is if I wasn't manifesting it from my heart, from that place of the kingdom, things being added unto me from a pure heart-mind congruency and purity, that I could manifest it, but I couldn't hold on to it. I could manifest it, but it wouldn't make me happy. I could manifest it, but it wouldn't give me what I thought it would give me. And so I had the clarity of mind to realize, well, this is a waste of my time then. I'm just going to keep manifesting stuff that never makes me happy, that doesn't give me what I think it ought to. And <clears throat> I'm I'm not going to, that's foolish. I don't need to have any more experience of that. I've had all that I need. So we we all go down that road until we get to that point. So when I got to that point, I really just prayed, God, my higher self, don't let me seek outside the kingdom anymore. Help me that if I'm going to seek outside the kingdom, that I would find out right away, no, that's not it. Whatever it takes for me to recognize right away, you're going down the wrong road. You're looking outside yourself. So I really decided to put my whole life on the altar. And and I said, really, cleanse my mind, cleanse my heart, cleanse my life. 
And in doing so, everything that I thought I wanted before has come to me. So before I used to really wonder, how can I ever make a living as a spiritual teacher? How can I ever really teach a class and feel really good about it? How can I ever uh, have a ministry that's successful? How will I ever do these things? And I had, you know, part-time jobs and odd things and this and that. And I would teach workshops that had three people in them, you know, drive two hours to teach a workshop for one person, drive back home for two hours, and, you know, not even make gas money and stuff like that. I mean, I just, I did all of that chasing and chasing and wanting and needing and craving and grasping and I finally just said, I'm done with all that. I'm just, I'm going to focus on God here. And so I focused on God right where I was, in those jobs and in those workshops and trying to piece together a living and doing all the things. And then what happened to me was I got fired. I got fired from the, the one thing that I was making money at. I got fired. And you know what? I got fired the day after I prayed to release the job so that I could focus on my heart's desire. And I was like, what? How could it happen so fast? What? I didn't mean for to have the rug pulled out from under me, but that forced me. I, I knew that that was my divine opportunity to have a radical trust in God. That's what I called it, my radical trust phase. And I decided that I was going to trust in God no matter what. And I was not going to limit myself anymore by limiting God. I was not going to do that anymore. I was going to place my trust and faith in God. And it was challenging. I had to work with it. A lot of fear came up, but I just kept saying, I'm placing my trust in God. And this is one of the things we work on in Masterful Living, developing that trust and that faith. Because the greatest gift you can give yourself is that unshakable faith. And unshakable faith can only come with a really loving heart. Because if we don't have a loving heart, then our trust and our faith is in our judgments, in our attack thoughts. So they go together, the loving heart and the deep faith. And for me, you know, what also happened was then my mom went into hospice care. And I was by her side 24-7 until she died for months and taking care of my parents through that whole process. And I made the commitment that my mom was not going to lay that body down and that there would be one little resentment or regret or unforgiveness between us. I said, and I, I made a pact with myself, I made a pact with God, and I just said, she is not leaving this human experience until we have total love between us. And we did accomplish that, 
it was challenging, but it wasn't as challenging as I thought it would be. It was miraculously healing, and I literally had some amazing, miraculous, mystical experiences in that journey. And the one thing that I know in all my spiritual journey is the greatest tool that I have had in my toolbox all along is that I just really, really, really decided that this was my path of healing, that being loving, choosing God was what my life was for. And so, as I've shared in other things, it used to be like when I was in my teens and in my early 20s, I used to dream about all the places I wanted to go in the world and all the things I wanted to do. And I wanted to be famous as a writer and be successful and travel all over the world and I really, you know, it was all these ego desires that if I could attain all these things, they would be proof that I was a good person. They would validate me. All these external experiences of travel and money and success and adoration and all of that would validate me. I was looking to get something because I didn't feel good enough. He needed all these things to make me feel good enough. And I threw in the towel on that. And I said, no, I just want to know myself as God. That's my heart's desire. That's the only thing that matters to me. And I trust that the kingdom will be added. Anything I think I might need or want will be added. And that's been my experience. And it's been interesting because I didn't think about it while I was doing it. But... In 2012 and in 2013, I've been, I've made like, I don't know, a couple of trips to Ireland, uh, I think three or four trips to England. I've been to France, I spent two weeks in France, and then I spent uh, like three and a half weeks in Greece, and um, what else? I've been so many different places. Uh, uh, in the United States and Germany and I feel successful I don't feel afraid I don't feel worried or concerned and I feel confident and assured that things are working for the best and I feel clear in my mind. I am able to teach spontaneously and feel that very good about it and clear. And I can pay my rent. And if I would like to go out to dinner, which I don't do very often, but I can afford to go out to dinner. And uh, I have an old car, but it's paid for. And uh, I feel 
and thousands of people are able to tune into what I'm offering, many thousands of people, and it's a benefit to them. And even if only one person tuned in, it, it really it wouldn't make any difference in the way I feel about myself or the quality of what I'm sharing because the quality of what I'm sharing, I feel the resonance of it in my heart and mind and I feel it opening and expanding all the time. That to me is true prosperity. I sleep well. I don't have nightmares. Uh, I can't remember the last time I had a nightmare. Um, I think I did have some interesting dream once this year. Anyway, um, my life is completely different. So I'm teaching the efficacy of doing this work. And obviously not one person on this planet needs me to help them or teach them. And the whole purpose of me offering all these classes really is for me to learn more clearly. And that's what is happening and I'm so happy to share the journey. And I'm even somewhat happy about doing all the administrative work that it takes to do it. I'm willing. I'm willing. And through my willingness, I consistently learn <laughs> how to be more peaceful. So, hmm. I think Julie's saying, I definitely feel like I could use Finding Freedom again. How long will I have access to the videos? And is there another Finding Freedom class being offered again soon? Julie, I don't know if I'm going to offer another Finding Freedom class. So you will have access to these classes and these videos for the foreseeable future. So... um Ever since I started teaching Finding Freedom this way, I can't remember now, Was everybody has access to download the audios and um, the transcripts uh, for years. Now I am moving to this other model of audios that are downloadable and replayable on the web and videos that are replayable on the web. They won't be downloadable and that people can go through and do those modules. So when that becomes available, everyone who has already taken Finding Freedom can pay probably what it will be is a, a very modest monthly fee to just access that revised curriculum. And, uh, and then if you just want to pop in and pay the monthly fee and go through the curriculum, you can. And uh, go because I'm putting the whole, pretty much the whole curriculum also in video form. And can always buy a new copy of the workbook. I have updated the workbook several times. And so I think that's one of the great things about Finding Freedom. And I'll say this, that uh, very often the people who are most successful in Masterful Living 
uh, will take Finding Freedom again and again while they're in Masterful Living. So I've had people in year three of Masterful Living repeating, still repeating Finding Freedom. Like some people just like, they just go through it once a year. Go back to the basics. And I also uh, do expanded version of the basics in uh, Masterful Living as well. And uh, Masterful Living begins January 1st. It's a year-long class, and we start on January 1st. And uh, I'm pretty excited about it. So, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Yes, I just really, I, my guidance is that now and I get forevermore, uh, our, whatever we invest in spiritual practice, unlike our history, there's just exponential expansion that's available to us. So whatever you are challenged with in whatever area of your life, All healing is at the level of the mind. Let us always remember that and work at the level of the mind. All right. So we've gone way, way over. I'm happy to answer your questions. I love you and I thank God for you. Let us place our hand on our heart and open ourselves to the unlimited, unprecedented life of love that is our true destiny. We're calling forth the highest and best for ourselves and for everyone because we're one with them. We're accepting and we're allowing the highest and best to be revealed to us. We're calling it forth as our experience and we're grateful and thankful to fully allow it to be. Yes. Yes. And so it is. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Merry Christmas, everybody. I love you, and I look forward to whatever comes next. I know it's got to be good. Good night. God bless.